John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 1080.NA0302, certificate number 26834, Roller Derby. Bonnie Thunders now at the pivot line, pushing Rose City's defense into turn one. We've got whistles, Lauren Much knocked to the outside of turn one, multiplayer block, going to go against Tarantula. Now, John, you've got a spitfire of a little girl Yep, who's both... Glam, but also tough as nails. Right. Have you ever taken the family out to roller derby? Yes. Tell me your role. Did you see the local team? Tell me your roller derby resume. Here. We did. We've. Uh, it, it's only been once, but it was a big success. We went up to see the Rat City Roller Girls at their new place up in <laughs> whatever Linwood. Two things. One, they're no longer the Rat City Roller Girls. Oh. They're Rat City Roller Derby. And okay. there's some language on their side about... Um, trans and intersex players, which implies that maybe there was some some bad feeling over the years that mm-hmm. has been resolved with the name change. And also they lost that facility in Linwood. Oh no, where are they now? Oh no, wait, they lost the facility on Aurora, maybe? I it, was, it was on Aurora Boulevard. It was, that, it was that warehouse. The one that used to be a furniture warehouse or yeah, something back in the 70s? Gentrification has come for roller derby, as it must for us all. You know, right next to that building was the little small bike shop where I got my first... <laughs> no, my first Schwinn Stingray. It was a blue Stingray with with a white banana seat. And it was like a little a little bike shop, right? Um, and it was right next to that roller derby barn. Seattle weirdly still has neighborhood bike shops, but it does not have a roller derby barn anymore because I, I think they're practicing again after COVID, but they're down in White Center now and they don't have a good permanent space. But I always felt like White Center was way more in keeping with the Rat City vibe mm-hmm. than... Than any Aurora Boulevard North. It's not rat city. It's not. I mean, I'm sure it has rats. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I think of it more as cat city or, I don't know, (laughs) bat city. (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot of bats up there. Uh, Are there? Yeah, it's really a lot. It's a big bat area. When we lived on the North End, I remember the house had been empty for a few weeks when we started moving furniture in it. And the movers were literally dodging rats in the front yard as they they carried stuff up from the driveway. They were like, you got a rat issue. Uh, That's that's what you want to hear on moving day. That's that's awful. Yeah. So Linwood is at least rat city adjacent. I remember when I used to smoke sitting outside, smoking a cigarette at dusk and watching the rats run across the 
the high tension telephone wires. <laughs> I was like, that's an impressive feat. Can they do that? Yeah, but I are also, these like secretive NIM SKP rats? <laughs> I really wished for a BB gun at that moment, but. Did I tell this on the show the other day? I was looking out the window the other day. We have like a, a bunch of sparrows and chickadees eating at our feeder. I call them all Onan because they spill their seed upon the ground. <laughs> and underneath, <laughs> in the there's a little ecosystem that's formed beneath the canopy of our of our apple tree rainforest. Where, where things are growing from the seed? No, not oh. because the seeds never actually germinate because a community has formed to eat the spilled seeds. Uh-huh. And so down there, there's like a, you know, the, the sparrows and chickadees are eating up above, and down on the ground, there's like a tohi, a squirrel, and a rat, huh. all just sitting peacefully, just, yeah. you know, a, in a little triangle, less yeah. than a foot away from each Professional other. Professional courtesy. And yeah, you know, it's like the, hey, Sam, hey, Ralph, from Looney Tunes. And they were they were all living in, in harmony, like, um, like in the days before the flood. I used to watch cats and uh, possums. Uh, per, uh, kind of do the same thing, like even eat they out get of along. the same bowl. They get along. I feel like they both recognize one another as you know, like two attorneys, like on opposing sides. Then they go to the bar afterwards and maybe when handshake. when one of you is a marsupial, maybe you're just like, you know what, this is a whole different niche. Yeah, I don't have to compete with this guy. He's got thirteen nipples. I'm eating, you know, like a like a like a possum's eating bugs out of the ground, right? And a yeah. cat is. I don't know. No cat I've ever known. No, that's not true. I used to have a lot of murder cats. Cats that forage? No, no recent cats I've known have, have ever chased a, a, uh, a food any bigger than a kibble (laughs) getting tossed across the kitchen floor. Well, getting away from the urban wildlife of, uh, Snohomish County and and back to roller girls. We should say that, um, that Linwood in Seattle is kind of a classic white flight neighborhood that, that kind of turned into a suburban hellscape after the after the war. Still has the nice mall, but is kind of a you know an opioid ravaged exurb now. Just although, kidding, just kidding. Linwood. Although close to the water, you know, nice nice area. But it, it was a um, yeah, it's just an exurb uh, where the freeway. When they built the freeway, they only built it to the north because in Seattle's mind, the south did not exist. It was full of Italians and African Americans. So. They wouldn't need a freeway. <laughs> uh, Seattle was a redlining uh, holdout. For surprisingly sure. late. Yeah, like the express lanes in Seattle's freeway go from the center of town only north. Yeah, they go to downtown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Linwood is the it was the you know kind of the the furthest you could go on I five. Now White Center, I, the ironically named uh, White un- Center, unlike its name, is a is a diverse immigrant neighborhood. That's where you go for the good Filipino and Ethiopian food. And it has, but it also has a very strong sort of punk rock slash Marxist vibe. Which is, which ties into what has become a modern day roller derby. Yeah, that's right. As there's we will a, discuss. There's a real kind of, uh, there's a sort of fisticuffs element to it. There's that wonderful uh, Chinese like boil, boil a pot crustacean restaurant where they. That's what it's called probably. <laughs> It has, Come on down to Boil a Pot Crestration. It has the same uh, lighting as a police interrogation room, <laughs> but and and just big picnic tables, and you spread newspaper out, and they just throw a bunch of boiled clams. It's and true that crabs. fluorescent lighting. Is, I never thought about this. Fluorescent lighting is a pretty good indicator of like you're about to eat really good Asian food. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. There, we used to go to a, a, a restaurant down in the ID, which in Seattle means International District, which is the 
modern appellation for sorry sorry chinese americans chinatown you you lost chinatown even though it's 98 percent chinese still uh there was a restaurant called top gun which also felt like a police interrogation room well it's called top gun and it was full of cops three o'clock in the morning (laughs) there were like 60 cops in there and then us eating sizzling rice soup i don't get it i'm gonna start a spinoff restaurant called top gun maverick up north hello now is the time (laughs) Uh, but but so there is a roller rink right in the center of of White Center, right? A, uh, that, an old uh, roller rink. Yeah, I'm the, yeah. Southgate, I believe, is the name of their new facility where they are practicing. But um, but I don't know what the future of the Roller Girls, uh, the sorry Rat City Roller Derby is. Mm-hmm. What, when did you see them? Was it years ago? I mean, I wanted to raise my daughter as a complex modern person, and so I think I took her to see Roller Derby when she was between six and eight, and it was. It was very exciting to see um, that much just full contact slamming into one another because, you know, before that, she only could practice that kind of judo on me, her father, a person that she practices every kick she, every kick and punch she's ever seen on TV. She comes and tries out on me, but this was like a, it was a, yeah, it's like, it's such a good time. There were a lot of people there. It was a pretty exciting contest, but uh, we never went back, and I think part of it was the COVID thing just shut everything down. That's what happened to me. So I had dreams of taking my kids to roller derby, and in fact, when I I had read about the origins of roller derby, and I thought, well, this is a weird forgotten history. This is perfect for omnibus. This has got to go in the vault, but I'll I'll wait till I can take my family to roller derby. And then it was in the off-season, and then right as the season was coming back in 2020, everything shut down. And judging by the social media presence of our local roller derbyers, it it's, it's it's waning. It seems a little iffy. I mean, they they appear on Facebook every couple months to sell merch, but it's not clear when there's actually going to be a schedule or games. It's pretty and, good merch because they don't have any place to play. Have you ever seen live um like Mexican style wrestling? Only once in a park uh down by the Duwamish somewhere because it's I think I've said this before it's uh Seattle is regulatorily specifically engineered to keep out pop-up wrestling shows for some reason I don't know if that dates back to the 50s or the 1890s (laughs) 1890s yeah (laughs) but I've seen it in a bar but it was in Everett which uh to our listeners is north of Linwood even if you can imagine such a thing but not a uh not a commuter exurb but in fact a weird navy fishing town Meet Bo- meets boeing working class yeah a lot of factory talk, line a lot of uh, popeye the sailor men fighting each other in bars up there so this wasn't even mexican wrestling just a bunch of these guys and no 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 in whites was, started fighting it, and working whites it, it started was, punching each other it was full-on like a touring company and they set up a, a ring in this big bar and we all you know piled in you know you're kind of sitting there close enough to the ring that you're getting sweat on you and they had a full card like 10 different contests, villains, heroes, masked heroes, hitting each other with chairs, falling on the floor. It was, uh, it was very visceral. This was my first experience with that kind of quasi combat entertainment Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Even though I'd grown up watching a lot of pro wrestling on TV, I'd never seen it in person. And you really do get it when you see it in person and you can hear the collisions or the simulated collisions. In San Francisco one time I went to a, I think off book, maybe illegal, uh, women's 
mixed martial arts like ultimate fighting contest. She just wandered in. You guys have a payphone? Hey. <laughs> no, I was dating a girl and she was like, we got to go to this. It was in the East Bay and it was one of those where you drive back and it's just warehouse after warehouse and up a loading dock and through a garage door and into this space. And uh, it was not pretend. They were punching each other and kicking each other so hard and they're bleeding all over the place. It was gnarly. And I'd never seen a, like an ultimate fighting contest between men. And so, and, but you knew this was much better. <laughs> well, it absolutely was. And it was, you know, it was intense. Like some of these people, uh, were hardcore and, um, the whole, yeah, the whole thing has stuck with me. Well, those who are familiar with roller derby from its 21st century incarnation as kind of this post-punk lefty third wave feminist, you know, proudly violent, but also kind of winking and self-aware super queer core media property. Yeah. Extremely queer friendly. Um, might be surprised at the origins of roller derby, which was once mass American culture. And it's kind of forgotten now a time when John and Jane Q public would, uh, would just, you know, spend eight hours a week watching roller derby. This is like the ice capades. <laughs> I it's only, like the ice capades entry. I only have a sense of this from, what a Paul Newman movie? Did I? Is there a Paul Newman roller derby movie that I would have seen in the seventies? Mm, I don't think so. Did you start? Did you fall asleep during Slapshot and start imagining <laughs> a, a weird third act? <laughs> uh, I maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Trying to think what the closest it. Paul Newman movie to uh, to this is. I mean, roller skates are an extremely old invention. Roller skates are older than America. And actually holding up better, quite honestly. Are they from the Roman era? Yeah. If, if I asked you who invented the roller skates, would you imagine some, some uh, Mesopotamian guy, car, you know, uh, chipping bronze into, into little wheels well, that's zipping around? It has to be after the invention of wheels. Yes. So we know the Incas couldn't, uh, couldn't have been roller skating up and down their mountain passes. And after the invention of shoes... So without shoes and wheels, very hard to make a roller skate. That's, you're, you're really starting from first principles if you don't have those. Uh, let's see. And what else? It might take uh, a time traveler. El, well, after the invention of floors. You, yeah. You don't want to go on. Like I have. My, cobblestones. When my kid had a roller skating um, uh, brief fascination during which we had to like buy some nice inline skates. Of course. Like there was almost no Seattle park that would be good enough because you know, even going on asphalt would lead to endless complaints. It's too bumpy. We need to go somewhere flat. You know, it had to be freshly poured cement or nothing. Did you ever, uh, did you ever roller skate? Uh, I went roller skating a couple times in college and never enough to get good. And I finally just was like, okay, I'm going to learn to inline skate. Cause this was the, such was the style of the nineties. Sure. And a girl in the next apartment was like, oh, no, I love rollerblading. I'll show you how to do it. And uh, I never got confident. I never turned that corner. And, so, I, and I literally never turned a corner. I just went into the bushes. This may be another one of the generational differences between us, The uh, the what would seem to be a small difference in age. A small Gen X gap. This is, a, this is old Gen X versus young Gen X. But roller skating was huge when I was a kid. And this might be a Korea thing too, but yeah, I think I I missed it by virtue of 
Because if I had been in the Northwest, what else are you going to do in the rainy winters? I mean, there there were so many roller rinks up here. They just closed one that was down in uh, Federal Way, like a a classic old roller rink, just closed during the pandemic. But growing up, like on a Saturday, we all went to the roller rink and skated around in circles. And the the kids that were good could skate backwards or do, you know— little tricks and the the rest of us just kind of skated around in a big oval. It was the first place I ever had a graveyard, which oh. is what we call what here we hear. I the thought Northwest. you were going to say a kiss, but yes, I know what a graveyard no, I didn't is. I don't, kiss. I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely know what kissing is, but graveyards I'm aware of. Graveyards are what you do if you take, if you go to the fountain drink and you put some of all the different pops in one cup. That's Let us know what you call graveyards in your home time and prefecture. This is one, this is one of the, uh, the regional differences in the United States, right? Every, the graveyards have different names. Maybe nobody else has ever thought of it. Maybe we're the only ones that do it. Other places are like, well, you can't do that. The the rules clearly say. <laughs> do you think in New Zealand they're like, what? Mix? Well, they don't have root beer or Dr. Pepper there, but like mix four kinds of Fanta. What are you, <laughs> yeah. You can mix crazy. all the Fantas. You get that weird brown stuff that's like, you know, when they make the the mixed, the mystery flavor Chupa Chup at the end of the run. But yeah, Might, do you remember Roller Girl, the song by Dire Straits? Yeah, you think of it as kind of a late 70s polyester disco kind of phenomenon. Yeah, Venice Beach. Yeah, so you got like the girl and Daisy Dukes on the boardwalk, yeah. but then also maybe a bunch of just suburban teens in polyester, big yeah. collars at a at a rink at night. With a disco ball on and, a Friday and, night. Uh, and a, a song by Blondie playing over the stereo. Here's Heart of Glass for Couples. <laughs> This entry in the Omnibus is brought to you with the cooperation of Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Want to start a new side hustle or your next big thing? I do. Squarespace has best-in-class templates, and they keep adding more, Ken. Now you can just browse the category of your business to find a perfect starting place. So for instance, in my case, the Roderick Group. What do you guys sell again? Uh, Roderick. We sell Rodericks, and me, being the primary Roderick, I can just browse the templates of uh, business categories and find the one that serves Rodericks the best. And you'll immediately stand out with a beautiful website that engages your audience. It doesn't matter what you're making or doing or selling. They've got the tools that any business would need. Like they've got e-commerce templates, but also inventory management. They've got checkout. They've got secure payments. You don't have to worry about any of that. It all comes with Squarespace. Now, you could be, like I would be, starting a business that's by appointment. See, the Roderick Group. Do you do massages? Uh, no, but if you want, if you want that, that sweet Roderick action, you're going to you're gonna have to make an appointment. And you're, you're Squarespace, a busy man. That's right. Squarespace, like, for instance, if you were a personal trainer or offering consulting services, which I would be doing, or you're a general contractor who goes out to do estimates, guess what, Ken? Squarespace can add online booking and scheduling on online booking and scheduling to your Squarespace site. So Clients can see your availability and even reschedule. I'm going to do that. I'm going to reschedule my uh, my FaceTime with you using your new Squarespace site. <laughs> okay, well, here's what you do. You head to squarespace.com/omnibus for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code omnibus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 10%. Oh boy. My kids still both go to the roller rink in Shoreline with friends. Do they so, really? it, so it's not dead apparently, but I'm not sure how 
common that is. But it's not inline skate. It's it's quad. This is this is quad skates again. The, the inline, occasionally you'll see I'll see one person on inline skates going around Green Lake or something. And of course, I'm terrified because those things make her six foot eight, and I'm you know both yeah. intimidated and 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 so impressed. You know, I bought a pair of inline skates in the early '90s at an REI garage sale because they were five dollars, and I was like, why not? And I took to them right away. Oh, wow. Because it felt like skiing. It's the same as skiing. And I skied around on them for, you You had had poles, weirdly. Didn't have poles. Skied around on them a lot until I started going down a big hill one time and realized there's one crucial difference. (laughs) Friction. (laughs) Which is there's no hockey stopping, or at least there wasn't, on inline skates. And I I had a big crash. I couldn't believe it when when the girl who was telling me about inline skating was like, oh, well, you just kind of, you know, you slow down, you can hockey stop, you can like mm. turn your knees. Can I? Really? Not really. You have to turn uphill. I mean, you know, if you're really good, I guess, maybe. The invention of roller skating, as you uh, wisely point out, does require both shoes and wheels. It also probably never would have happened without the ice skate. Ice skating right. predates roller skating. We probably talked about this in our Zyder Z entry. The Dutch have been, you know ice skating ever since something first froze back when back before climate change when it was still cold in the winter yeah back when western europe would still occasionally freeze um and in 1743 a london theater production uh, wants to mimic the ice skating uh uh hobby that's so popular on the continent of course they want to get some of that dutch winter flavor how do you do it on the stage and someone some unknown genius Lost to time comes up with the idea that, well, you could make fake ice skates with little wheels on it, and then the cast could zip around. He invented Starlight Express, basically. Wow. He took some wheels off of a train set, or where would you get little wheels? Where, where, what would be the littlest wheels at the time in 1743? So it's kind of pre-industrial revolution, so there weren't... Yeah, almost. It's, there, not, it's not even like you could go to some... Uh, you could see, p- pull apart gears in your, in your uh, friend's big factory presses or looms, you know? Right. When was the ball bearing invented? Oh, wow. Uh, The ball bearing was invented in 1794. So there weren't even ball bearings. For 50 years. Whoa. So it's just like little metal or ceramic or clay wheels on axles with no... On, On whatever the... Imagine the shoes of the early 18th century. Imagine... Whatever right. uh, King Louis is wearing, yeah, not even not even Victorian like high lace boots. But the funny thing is, uh, there's a there's a little community theater in my neighborhood that uh, puts on a Charlie Brown Christmas every year, mm-hmm. and they just basically they just redo the 25 minute animated special, duplicating everything <laughs> about the blocking, every sound effect and music cue. Do they have that little girl that does the does the head shake dance in the dance scene? Yes, all the dances are represented. Every time one of the child actors does some little uh, stutter or odd reading, you know, that they, they kept in, yeah. like the actors slavishly mimic that as well. And then the, the portentous Linus. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> and they were sore afraid. Yeah, so it's it's really just kind of an exercise in nostalgia. But you know, to do the ice skating stuff at the beginning, the whole cast comes out in roller skates and zips around on a on a floor that's been colored to look like a frozen pond. 
And that's sweet. That's the effect that gave us the roller skate in 1743. But they didn't catch on until uh, a few decades later when the greatest Belgian transplant of his day, John Joseph Merlin, Merlin, uh, presumably a stage name, uh, moves from Hoy in Belgium to the United Kingdom and becomes, he's kind of a flamboyant, eccentric figure. By by day, he's a maker of mathematical instruments. Mm-hmm. He's a tinkerer, but he's like tinkerer to the stars, you know, like he's making fantastic jeweled clocks and, you know, weighing machines more precise than anything the Chancellor of the Exchequer now has. So he's like a, a a celebrity figure, and every time he invents some new clock or scales or a, a system so the blind can play cards, can play euchre or whatever it is, he holds a big ball, and all of London's finest come and ooh and ah over this fantastic new clock. He has a mathematical instrument museum. He must be. He I think he. It seems like he started up the 18th century version of the Magic Castle. Mm-hmm. He had. So he opened up some place. He was really playing on the Merlin element of his name, and he opened up a place called the Necromantic Cave. Uh huh. <laughs> Your eyes just widened. You know, I don't want to be one of those boomers that's like, why don't we have any balls to celebrate new clocks and necromantic <laughs> caves anymore? <laughs> But they, that sounds pretty fun. It's the early Romantic era, so everybody, you know, all these uh, rich city folks want to get in touch with the sublime and the emotional. And so right. you can go to um, Merlin's space where he has weird lighting effects, and he tells you he's he's got the magic of Ambrosius Merlin, and his mystical powers will show you miracles you've never seen. So the guy's a nut. Yeah. But also, by day, makes... A nutty time, too. Cl- clocks and calendars. So every time Monsieur Merlin wanted to popularize some new mathematical instrument that he'd created, he would... Um, Throw a ball. Oh, yeah, hold some big party, and he was... We don't do this enough. Yeah, every time you know, every time I've invented a clock, yeah. I didn't do anything. No, you were just like, put it on your clock shelf. I just stayed home. Maybe I tweeted about it. And so as a publicity stunt at one point, he decided he would zoom through a masquerade ball on wheeled shoes, similar to these ones that had played the London stage... Did he, a few decades it, it, did he reinvent it uh, uh, outside of knowledge of this first occasion? Or My guess is there's some, there's some proto-roller skate uh, effort in the air. Yeah. You know, like once you've seen, once you've seen shoes on, or wheels on shoes, even <sighs> if it's not a, a, a comely college student bringing you your, your burger and milkshake. You yeah. Know, How you're, are you going to remember down that. on the farm? Exactly. Um, and unfortunately his don't work that well. So he zooms through this masquerade ball playing a violin. He doesn't have breaks and he's not very good at it. And, uh, you know, he crashes into a wall and it's kind of a fiasco. Um, but the technology advances through failures like that, as it often does. Um, a Monsieur Petit Blad in Paris in 1819 invents the first inline skates. Whoa. Um, so early. But the turning point is the turning point comes during the U.S. Civil War in 1863. A New York City inventor named James Plimpton uh, mm-hmm. perfects and patents some pretty decent quad skates, and they mount a New York He's got company a- and send them into the battle <laughs> against the Confederates. It's funny you would say that, but uh, during World War One, Scientific American actually was proposing 
that armies zip into battle on roller skates. But surely Un- there would unaware be unaware of the mud. Well, that's what I was going to say. Surely there'd be some infrastructure problems if you if you know you have to lay track to get your supply line trains in there. What are you having to lay down to get your roller skating infantry in? If you watch that recent World War One movie that was that kind of purported to be all just one long shot. 1917. 1917. There were a lot of scenes in that movie where it just seemed like there were normal roads that went from place to place. Because the camera's got a dolly sometimes. <laughs> it can't all be steady cam. That's very bad for that guy's back. So Plimpton has a brand new roller skate, and he also has a brand new key because he's, a, he's not just an, a, a tinkerer, he's an entrepreneur. He founds the New York Roller Skating Association to publicize his new invention. He, he opens a rink, exactly. He opens a rink in Newport, Rhode Island, which was where all the well-heeled yeah, that was the place. people went to, to enjoy their summers. So he thought if he could get the rich and famous roller skating on fancy parquet floors, then the battle would be won. He started giving lessons, I assume, to their attractive daughters. Um, and this really catches on. He's able to brand roller skating uh, in much the same way that, you know, uh, graham crackers or frosted mini wheats come to us as a way to keep young men from touching themselves. Oh, uh, ro- didn't work. <laughs> you didn't know where that sentence was going. <laughs> Maybe you just weren't eating enough frosted mini wheats, John. bouncing along. <laughs> the, uh, the roller skates became during the Victorian era, something that a young couple could do together. No, it was very difficult to touch that would, your loins. Yes, it, it would not require a chaperone, and yet genital-to-genital contact, all nearly impossible, uh, which is you know, what the manual probably said. Mm-hmm. Do not attempt. Uh, so this becomes a fad. Rinkomania, as it was then called, <laughs> hits both British cities and uh, the United States, principally New England. And people just, so rinks are being built everywhere. People just can't get enough. And you, you know, the the turn of the 20th century was a time of, of fads and quacks. And so you can predict exactly how this goes. Uh, doctors saying that this is a, you know, you've got to have this to, as an important fitness tool, build strong bodies in 10 different ways. Futurists and efficiency experts telling you this is how people will commute to work. There was kind of a proto-segue movement associated with the roller skates. Um, I talked about the, the military minds thinking you could use them to go into battle. Um, you got the religious people thinking it'll keep teens from groping each other. I mean, it seems like there are groping possibilities, right? Your date, you know, slip, sure, slips and trips and you've got to, oops, you got to grab them. Or you do the, you do one of those trains, like a, like a, like a funk train where you all grab the. Surely that had not been invented yet. <laughs> Shoot the moon? Well, you have to remember this was a pre-funk era. So Mm. are roller skaters actually trying like a funk conga train line to barbershop quartet music? Maybe this is where funk was invented. (laughs) When you've got a funky hobby like roller skating, how could you avoid coming up with those percussion percussion lines? But you're right. There's there's a certain amount of... There's a certain amount of contact. There's a certain amount of grab ass yeah. in roller skating. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. Although if you were wearing a bustle. <laughs> then you could fall with impunity. Yeah, if there was a bustle in your hedgerow in this instance, it'd be hard to get there. Is that a, the point of the bustle? Is it a barricade to keep boys away? 
I always thought it was like a butt enhancer, kind of like Madonna has. But like it's a, both. It, it it makes the the boy's eyes go wide like a Tex Avery wolf, but then he can't get at it. Can't there's get a, at it. There's a cage. It's like one of those cages the Russians are putting on their tanks. <laughs> if you have the right guided missile, you're going to get in there. So maybe that's the plausible deniability for kids. The grown-ups will let them go roller skating because it seems so wholesome, and yet the whole time they're they're panting and touching <laughs> in, in ways that you know the reverend would not approve of. Anyway, oh, an offshoot of the dawn of roller skating is that canny uh, uh, promoters and early, you know, kind of proto-vaudevillians come up with the idea that there should be roller skate endurance events. Oh, sure. Because it's, it's become a fitness fad, right? So the, and it's, it's one that's very hard to make competitive with, um, you know, Harvard can't play Yale at roller skating. But you can see who can do it the longest. Who can roller skate the longest? So in 1885, for example, Madison Square Garden, whatever it was at the time, probably an actual garden. Right. Was, Definitely not a replacement train station. <laughs> it was booked for six days so that people Whoa. could roller skate. And whoever roller skated the longest won $500. Whoa. Congratulations to Mr. James Cohen of New Jersey or, or whatever it was. Unfortunately, he took home the $500 only to die the next day. I was going to say. Because roller skating for six days, it, it can't be good for what else. No, 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 no. I'll almost certainly almost certainly, that would kill a normal person. But as these events started to catch on of just the how long can you skate fad, um, as an obvious corollary to that, there came to be a little bit of jostling and pushing. These events got rowdy. You know, if you wanted to stay upright, maybe you could trip or push was your there, opponent was you can't not, count on him to die the next day it won't happen every time I, I it's just now occurring to me that there isn't really roller skate based hockey um as a as like a major sport and it would seem to be so much easier to play hockey on roller skates than it is to maintain a whole ice rink. Right. Like for, you know, to this day, one of the problems with ice hockey is infrastructure. So why is there not, especially with the, in, uh, the invention of inline skates, why is there not inline hockey as like a major, a major sport? It would be the same. Oh, maybe it's, you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can still careen into the, into the, uh, you can careen into the boards. I guess the, the the fans will stop you. But I mean, the hockey stop is a key. It's it's right it's, there in the name. A key element to playing hockey well. Maybe they just haven't invented the right combination of gummy wheels that allow you to sh to like shrelp. I think it's big zamboni. Uh, they don't want some ice free, more convenient hockey variant. Sure, uh, you know, interrupting their meal ticket. Big zamboni again. Stand the thwart <laughs> as, progress. As it always is. <laughs> First, they start the Spanish-American War, and then... No, they didn't. So by 1922, we see the first event, uh, one of these endurance events that's called a roller derby. Oh, yeah. And has nothing in common with our modern roller derby, except that a derby would be a, a you know a big sporting event, often a multi-day one. So come on down to the whatever Coliseum and see who can outlast the others in the roller derby. And of course... During the Depression, if you'll recall, this kind of endurance event 
yeah. really caught on because no one had a job. And it's how you could win a car or win a bicycle. Today, you know, we, we go to sporting events that are 90 minutes to three hours long because we all have work. <laughs> if it's the depression and no one has to be anywhere, uh, why not have a dance marathon that goes for a week and a half? Yeah, you know, why not? A, a nickel to watch. Yeah, you you pay to enter, you pay to watch, and there's there's a a, a grand prize, a, a a Packard or something for the winner. So at these derbies, they must have also had speed contests, races. I mean, it, it, surely it wasn't just the endurance, because if you're gonna have a if you're gonna call it a derby, it's got to have an, an at least one other element. I think it was largely people going in laps. At some of these later ones, there were interestingly song and dance breaks. Yeah, like the other event would be kind of a you know, a vaudevillian uh, dancing on skates, a uh-huh. musical number uh-huh. for the crowd in the cheap seats. Uh, but at the time, it was really just like, who can go around this track counterclockwise the longest? And just like NASCAR, it started to take off when there were crashes. Yeah. You know, that's what made roller derby something that people would want to go to. Um, it really says a lot about human beings. <laughs> I don't, I think this I don't is, want to see people successfully do it, go in an oval. I want to see them unsuccessfully go in an oval. I feel like this is true of all humans around the world. It's like, uh-huh. oh, wait, somebody died? A train arrives <laughs> at its destination? Boring. Two trains slam into each other in the desert and can never be useful again? Perfect. Did you know, John, that I used to make websites for a living? <laughs> I've heard this, and when I look at you and I think about that, it's really easy to picture. That's exactly what I imagine you doing. <laughs> I'm always here wearing a short-sleeved white dress shirt. Yeah. I'm like, huh, what is he? Oh, it, the computer guy's here. Hey, the computer guy's here. Oh, no, can it's you fi- Ken. Can you fix the router? Yeah. Why am I always fixing your printer every time? Why, why Can't you keep your printer configured? Could you make me a website that does everything I want but is a lot cheaper than you would think, even cheaper than that? It used to be so much trouble. If you wanted your own website. It was the worst. It was so hard. The You'd have to know all this back-end stuff. You the, had to know all these nerds. The software was bad. Awful. Dreamweaver. Uh, the, you had to drink all this Mountain Dew. Nobody even bad knew. Bad for your health. 64 ounces of Mountain Dew a morning. Like, what was a website even supposed to do? It was not just making a website that was hard. It was using websites that were hard. Everybody now, it's so much, it's universal. Like, website creation is now open to all through no, the amazing that's not true it's still only for nerds but but i see what you're saying it has been democratized by squarespace the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online thank goodness for squarespace they are how i built my website they are how i built my band's website squarespace has been there for us through thick and thin <laughs> the best in class templates like it's already there you just choose what the look is you want and it supports everything you want your website to do. E-commerce, whatever you're making or doing, you can sell it there. Not just not just sales, but inventory management, checkout, secure payments. All everything's there out of the box. What's cool now is that they have appointment scheduling. Ooh, are you starting a business that has appointments, John? Well, so I've been thinking about this. That's the thing. If is you it Reiki? A, or do you do Reiki massage? It's not. It's it's maybe going to be life coaching. It's maybe going to be a little. 
like some exotic dancing. But if you have a, a business where you're like a personal trainer or you have consulting services like I'm going to do or you're a general contractor, you can add online booking and scheduling to your Squarespace All site. that calendaring stuff built in out of the box. C- clients can see your availability. They can reschedule if needed. I, that would be right there, a thing that would keep me from doing, from branching out into this exciting new job opportunity. Just managing of exotic all dancing? that. Yes. Because that's all, you can do all the dancing, you just don't want to have to... You don't want to manage the calendar. Don't want to run a whole company to schedule all your bookings. If you want to start a new exotic dancing business, head to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. Send me an email telling me where your Squarespace site is going to be so I can review your content. Well, why do you? This this is a competing exotic dancer. Well, I want inspiration. Are you going to hack their website? No, try to crash it. It's just a shared community. It's a community of exotic dancers. We all. It's a rising tide lifts all boats. Maybe you guys could have a little dance troupe. Yeah, right. Or dance off, but it'd be a friendly dance off. A friendly and erotic. Erotic dance off that's virtual and hosted on Squarespace. How do I get started, John? You go to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, that's the thing. You haven't committed yet. You're you're on there. It's It's free. free. When you're ready to launch, then you punch in the offer code omnibus to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. Wow, 10%. That's right. Thank you, Squarespace, for supporting Omnibus. Thank you, Squarespace, so much. That's squarespace.com slash omnibus. Well, this is when we meet the uh, the brainchild behind modern roller derby, whose name is Leo Seltzer, mm-hmm. which sounds like a... Checks out. It sounds like a... It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost too on the nose. It's some goyish idea of a... Of a guy making you an egg cream. Leo Seltzer. Leo Seltzer. And Leo, as, as you can tell by the name, Leo Seltzer is from Portland, Oregon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Weirdly. Famous uh, Seltzer town. He owns a chain of movie, th- he has bought a chain of movie theaters in Portland that are struggling. And he finds that these Depression era dance marathons are taking away all the kids who used to come neck at his screenings like, no yeah everybody was gonna come see valentino or in clara bow and instead they're all over at the roller brink doing the lindy and of course these dance marathons kind of turn it you don't you can't really dance the whole time they kind of eventually just turn into stagger and walkathons or you you kind of make a little a little matchstick house with each other and fall asleep fall asleep on each other all shoulder. i know about this is from the movie they shoot horses don't they do you know right yeah yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. which which it does end up with that they're just kind of like leaning on each other and somebody's jabbing you because if you fall asleep you're uh you're disqualified um so he comes up with this idea uh he you know he sees the dance marathons that have just turned into walking and he thinks well you know roller skating's better than walking so he comes up with his own marathon that he calls the Transcontinental Roller Derby, which he puts on at a at a Chicago um, stadium, even though he's or at a Chicago roller rink. Even though he's a the idea came from his the struggles of his Portland businesses. Um, it's called the Transcontinental Roller Derby, not because anybody is going across the continent; they stay in the Chicago rink, but they're going to go fifty seven thousand laps. Which which would is the equivalent of going across the country. It would be three thousand miles. That's uh, what it would take to get from Boston to San Diego, or, or however he builds it. Um, you don't do it continually. You're gonna, but you do have to skate eleven and a half hours a day. Wow! It's not clear where the maybe it's 
a 12 hour day with a half hour lunch pail break. And does someone come out in a, in a, uh, sequined bathing suit with a pillbox hat and hold up a sign that says now entering. Yeah, probably Indiana. here's Milwaukee. I think you're probably right about that. That's what I would do. Yeah. Um, and this is a huge hit, this event, uh, such that in the 1930s, he takes it on the road. This kind of becomes the ice capades of its day. It's already on the road, and now he's taking it on the road. It's on- really on the road, on the road. So he's he's going to roller rinks all across America and holding one of these skate for 3,000-mile competitions. Um, they are – it's a team event, uh, which is kind of what gives us our modern-day roller derby. But I think the whole team has to – I don't know if you can tag in and out. I think you might have to all stay. Everybody has to get there. Yeah. And this leads to what is still fondly referred to in the skate community as the golden age of roller skating. The apparently uh, baby boomer America, you know, which we celebrate their entire catalog here. You know, think of all the great things they did. Um, they Let's put lead in see. gas and then yeah. they took it out of gas. Yeah. Oh, that they were just standing around when that happened, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. The baby boomers, I think were best at being there They left when s- other things happened. Yes. Except for in, uh, American cities, they decided they did not want to be there. Right. They wanted to be in a concentric circle around there. Or their dads and moms did. Yeah. Let's blame their, let's blame the greatest generation. Yeah. Why not? You know, I was reading a thing the other day that was written before World War II or right during World War II that described the greatest generation in the language of the time. (laughs) And it was like these young people with their dumb vitamins and they've all grown so tall, but they have no brains. I was like, oh, those are are the heroes of the 20th century. Not to their parents, they weren't. They were just kids that wouldn't uh, uh, slop the pigs. During this, during this decade, uh, 5,000 skating rinks are built across America. 18 million people take up roller skating. This is the 1930s? Uh, we're 30s, get, 40s? I think we're getting into the post-war era. Like oh. the, the, what's referred to as the golden age of roller skating is kind of the baby, boom chi- baby boomer's childhood. Got it. So 40s into 60s. If you read uh, literature about this, <laughs> the, the, the boom is credited to uh, a World War II desire to relieve the stress, to, uh, to relieve the stress of war. Without having any sex, but do it's you an, another way? But do you believe this? Let's say you're uh, uh, you're you're stressed about your boys fighting overseas. Is the best way to do that to put on a pair of roller skates? Is this a normal reaction to uh, to a global warfare? I mean, maybe if you come back from the war, scarred and uh, scarred, and you put on the roller skates, and somebody goes retreat, and then you just get to retreat for forever, <laughs> for miles and miles, like. Still retreating. You're unwrapping all the trauma that happened to you during your advance on Bastogne That's right. That's or right. Just keep going backwards until you're back home. Uh, so this, um, so these these kind of team concentric races continue during the. Are there a popular sidelight to the golden age of roller skating, which is really just? It's not that different from what it is today. Teens going to the rink with a group of friends and hearing. I mean, it would be Frank Sinatra instead of Weezer, but it's. You know, it's just a, a youth thing to do. The difference being there was only I Love Lucy and the Honeymooners to watch <laughs> on TV. Yeah, yeah. So that maybe that's what explains it. People say that it's to relieve the stress of war. No, it's because there's not enough pop culture. Right. Like, get me out of the house. So this uh, Leo Seltzer's circuit is traveling America in the golden age of roller skating. 
And at one point, he pulls into Miami. Leo remembered this variously as 1936 or 1937. And there's a VIP in the house. Uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, there's a list of, uh, you won't believe who's here at the Transcontinental Roller Race. Eddie Cantor, Jack Benny, Ginger Rogers. It, you know, big stars would show up at this new faddish thing. Yeah. Because that's what stars do. But in Miami in 1936, it happens to be no less than Damon Runyon. Oh. Who is in the house. Could you could you tell me anything about the fairly forgotten figure Damon Runyon? Damon Runyon, wasn't he? Uh, well, this is a thing that you're going to know because— Because I studied for this show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wasn't he—was uh, he a film director? His association with film is mostly his uh, short stories that got turned oh, into he was a, films. a newspaper guy. Yeah, he started out as a journalist, and essentially he's kind of the origin for a lot of our modern ideas of what sports writing is. A fedora, a cigar. He was the Hearst Publications baseball guy. Okay. And modern baseball writing pretty much wouldn't exist without him. The funny thing is, after his sports writing career, he went on to greater fame— Writing short stories about Midtown Manhattan, this um, milieu that he knew pretty well, but also stylized of of con men and hustlers and mobsters and gangsters and gamblers and and, uh, showbiz types that would kind of congregate around Midtown looking for a dice game or a... Or a a Judy who was hot to trot. He started out as the Robert Duvall character in The Natural and then ended up being a kind of Sam Spade. Yeah, except um, even more so because he uh, he has genuine literary pretensions. He writes all these short stories that later become movies. The Capra movie Lady for a Day is based on his book about one of these uh, kind of downtrodden women. Um, a couple Bob Hope movies, The Lemon Drop Kid. He always wrote about colorful gangsters with names like uh, Harry the Horse or, right. uh, or you know, Barely There Benny or, you know, whatever. Um, is he... I'm just starting to sit here thinking, is he the one that romanticized being a hard-bitten journalist that affected me so much growing up in wanting to be that character? Like the war correspondent and the the downtown, like mingling with the hoi polloi, but writing smart, tough, hard-bitten exposés type of thing? Maybe, because he did cover news as well. Yeah. You know, he wrote a famous thing about, I think, FDR's first inaugural. Um, he would... I mean, most of that probably comes from World War II era stuff, you know, Ernie yeah. Pyle and uh, uh, Edward R. Murrow in London. But this was a time when that kind of uh, 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 correspondent, a writer, could be the the biggest celebrity in America because he'd be there'd be no hotter culture than the guy who brought you the the news from the war in Europe or the baseball scores. This was as 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 up to the minute as it got. That was Twitter. So Runyon. Um, in this in the thirties, he is not yet famous yet for his uh, his depictions of of uh, Broadway hoods and characters. But later, his short stories about those guys would become the basis for. He wrote a short story about uh, a gangster named Sky Masterson, who falls for a Salvation Army minister named Sarah Brown, and that that and a melange of his other stories becomes the basis for the Broadway hit Guys and Dolls. Right. So mostly, we remember Runyon today filtered through musical theater, but his stories very much have these over-the-top characters who speak this bizarre kind of heightened English that has kind of a criminal-sounding argot, but is also very um, loft, lofty literary 
Shakespearean speech. His characters weirdly always use the present tense, even when they're describing the past and the future. They never use contractions. Uh-huh. So to this day, if you've heard a gangster say, uh, uh, leave us, enter the speakeasy, and see if a game of dice might await us, you know, something uh, like that. It's hey, the, it's the way that, guys. It's the way that Fat Tony talks on The Simpsons. Yeah, right. That's 100% just a creation of Damon Runyon. And he knew actual mobsters. I mean, he knew Dutch Schultz and all those guys, but I don't think they talked like that. He was... He was making it safe for the Saturday Evening Post by mm-hmm. making them, you know, fun, funny and fun and uh, and witty, you know, uh, uh, sharps and sharks. Maybe making them a little wittier than they were in order to curry favor with them so they didn't come beat him up when he, he wrote <laughs> stories about him. That's exactly right. You know the funny story you told me about all that money you lost at Dice? Well, it's in the Atlantic this week, but don't worry. <laughs> I you sit, seem hilarious. You're super cute and funny in it. You're gonna, your mom's gonna plots. So Damon Runyon is watching one of these roller derby uh, endless laps, and he's seeing, you know, the kind of the blocking that's kind of started as the teams try to ice each other out and practice some team strategy in order to stay in the lead um, as they do their <laughs> thousands of laps. And he says, you know, look. You, you got something here, you know, leave us go into this uh, bistro and confabulate. <laughs> he, he probably doesn't talk like that. Yeah. Why, why have a six day long, super boring around the clocker when you could have something <laughs> where you get all the action, but tighten it up. Cause he comes from the world of, of, uh, of baseball and, and actual successful sports. <laughs> uh-huh. And he says, here's what you got to do. And so he sits down over drinks with Leo Seltzer and no less than Damon Runyon comes up with what are still today the rules of roller derby, you know, two teams, only five on the, on the track at once counterclockwise laps two 30 minute periods. They're divided into these two minute episodes called jams. One, uh, player on each team is a jammer, which who has a special today. It's usually a star on the helmet, uh-huh. I think. Yep. Um, and like, uh, uh, like zonker in, in, uh, yeah, in it's, football. It's based on Zonker from Doonesbury. Uh-huh. That's what Damon Runyon loved. And the jammer on each team is trying to lap or pass the other four blockers, the other players on the other team, you know? So you've got somebody blocking for you, but the same players are trying to ace out the other team's jammer. And you get a point for everyone you pass. If you can pass all four, that's a grand slam and the jam ends. There are some complications that may be post Runyon where you can pivot to a different jammer at a strategically opportune point. Pass the jam? You can pass the jam to another player that has some kind of a stripe or backup uh, zonker symbol on, uh-huh. on, on her helmet, their helmet. It's not a thing where you carry a little, like a star sticker in your jersey. And- you don't have to pass any kind of baton, torch, or wand, but there is like a panty, a thing that fits over your helmet with a star or a stripe, which which then gets uh, passed if you need to appoint a new jammer at a time when that fits your game plan. Son, you got a panty on your head. (laughs) Two of the players will have literally panties on their heads. So it's a, uh, you know, the whole time you've been talking about it, I've been imagining it counterclockwise. And now you're, you're saying that counterclockwise is the, that is the canonical. It is the way. Hmm. And isn't that true of, uh, of stock car racing and stuff too? You only turn left. Yeah. I don't, huh. I don't know why. Why Why is this? Is there something in our... I mean, it's... You don't want to go the same direction as a clock. It's a sport for, for rebels and loners. I guess in a car, you are sitting on the left-hand side. If you were sitting on the left-hand side and going around a right 
hand curve, you'd always be on the uphill. You want to bring this all back to Napoleon's army or, or I'm, some I'm horse passing another horse in, the, in War. Scotland in how 1600. Do, how do I connect it? Maybe there is something to that. Like maybe it does come from traffic patterns. I don't know. Except early cars, the driver was on the right, so. So Runyon's version of roller derby immediately takes off and takes the country by storm during the golden age of roller skating when we are already associating roller skates as a, as a core part of the American good time and night out. There are famous touring teams who go around the country playing this new sport so you would have favorites. You couldn't wait till this Globetrotter-style barnstorming team came through town. Big arenas would sell out. In 1948, a time when almost no Americans have television, the first, you know, a roller derby circuit makes a deal with New York City TV, and now roller derby is on TV from the infancy of the medium. Huh. So you can't watch it at home because your parents don't have one, but if you're looking in a department store window or possibly in a bar, um, one of the few things that's on, because it's local and cheap to produce, is people going counterclockwise on roller skates and and, uh, elbowing and jostling. And it's great entertainment. Is it pretty violent right from the start? <sighs> is it like whammo? Or is it mostly just like a bunch of people trying to get up to the front of a, of a concert? It's not all women yet. Mm-hmm. It's largely men. So I would assume it's in line with, you know, leatherhead football. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised if it's a pretty violent sport. Not like these, John, not like these millennial snowflakes today. No, boy, I'll say. Well, no, they do. They do. <laughs> roller derby would be the exception to that, I guess. Um, but on Twitter, you know, you can't you can't elbow anybody. But this is, uh, you know, pro wrestling has been on. You know, there have been experiments with pro wrestling on TV earlier. But this is right in line with when wrestling starts to take America by storm as the reason to get a TV. So it's not even like they've ripped off this idea of quasi, you know, elbow throwing, quasi entertainment, quasi sports on on television. It's really growing up hand in hand with professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, maybe you don't get gorgeous George if not for the fact that roller derby is big on one coast at the same time pro wrestling is on the other. Now, you are saying something as though this were common knowledge, but I assumed everybody bought a TV in order to watch the news and the Jack Parr show and and uh, and leave it to Beaver. Plenty of people wanted to see Uncle Milty. But are you Texaco s- Star Theater sold a ton of TVs. Are you saying that that pro wrestling and roller derby like pushed televisions into living rooms yeah and wow. today it's almost been you know because rest pro wrestling is still very much a going concern and we remember it from mul- multiple generations childhoods and roller derby kind of gleamed brightly and burned out we think of it less but yeah it was gorgeous george and these kind of quasi sports that made dad want to get a tv you know because after work he wanted to open a beer can in the weird old timey way. Yeah. And, and sit and watch a gorgeous George beat up some fake Nazi, fake Arab, you know, something offensive. Did you, uh, yeah, it's very offensive to beat up fake Nazis. No, it's not Ken. That's what we do. No. Beating up real Nazis is what actual activists do, John. Right. Well, beating up fake Nazis doesn't help. Fake Nazis are worse than real Nazis. They can't even be Nazis. They give you something to boo at from the stand. Have you, did you go through a pro wrestling phase as a young person? Very much, because I was a product of the Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Randy Savage 80s. Right. And if 
you know, I was a slave to whatever Armed Forces Network put on TV. And guess what young GIs wanted to watch in the 80s? We got WrestleMania like the weekend after. Wow. Even if we got, um, uh, you know, Cheers and the Cosby show a year, a fully a year late. You know, the Army had its priorities on straight. That's funny because in the 80s, I was really against pro wrestling. Not against, but like so contemptuous of it. Because I was a ninth grader that carried a briefcase, so yeah, I was way too. But when you made your, it. but when you made your heavy metal heel turn, you still were not going to listen to watching wrestling with those guys. No, although my eighteen when when I was eighteen, uh, that Thanksgiving I spent at a pro wrestling event in Minneapolis because I had nowhere else to go, and someone gave me a free ticket to a pro wrestling thanksgiving event was it like big names wwf yeah. or was well, it just some no, regional circuit no it was it was a big show but it was 19 well it would have been still in that era but no there was no hulk hogan there and i went and got some uh got some church's fried chicken or something in a box and carried it in and sat in my seat <laughs> and that was my thing my first thanksgiving away from home uh but it was a it was an a, a it was really an event and the crowd was what you went to see. Was it a big arena? Oh yeah, it was a big arena and, and But they let you carry in fried chicken. Well, it was the eighties. <laughs> uh but you know, the 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 fans really felt they all had signs, they were screaming. I was kind of blown away by the energy. But you've never been back? I've to this day I've never seen pro wrestling live, but I'm a big fan of the art. No, of the two of us, I have seen two wrestling events, one big, one small. And you sit over there with your Hulk Hogan sweatshirt on. I've seen one. Uh, I've seen one Mexican wrestling show live, and I've never actually been to a big promoters pro wrestling event. But uh, yeah, but I was there for kind of the groundswell of the McMahon's r- kind of reinventing it as mass entertainment. Right. No longer something for weird sweaty dads, but you know, kids might like this. Did you have a Stretch Armstrong that had been rebranded <laughs> as a as a? <laughs> I Vince remember McMahon? those. Sadly, by that time. Roller Derby has died. Wrestling oh. has has survived its um its wheeled compatriot slash forebear. Um, so was it a '60s primarily a '60s vibe? I feel like it's got to be the invention of actual counterculture that kills roller derby. Leo Seltzer always blamed um, the gas crisis. Oh. Like you can't heat the rink. People are staying home. You know. oh. But really, is the gas crisis really going to kill roller derby? Um, it kind of goes along with biker movies and, you know, it might've been the war in Vietnam. It started to seem too kitschy. It might be something even more banal. Seltzer also blamed the vagaries of television syndication. You know, he yeah. never had a big network deal, which means he was negotiating separately with some station in San Diego and some station in Topeka and some station in Houston. And, you know, and it was just a constant stream of no, don't move us to 2 a.m., please. <laughs> Like, give us, give roller derby a good slot, put us on after Star Trek or something, you know? Was Pinky Tuscadero a roller derby? <laughs> Isn't she a more of a star? motorcycle? Does she do roller derby? I don't know. I feel like the one of the Tuscadero sisters was a roller derby. I mean, the derby-ist. funny thing is that's possible because in the 70s, that would have been some idea of 50s nostalgia is, uh, you know, tough girls who do roller derby. Yeah. You know, because putting it on TV, just like with wrestling, it did mean you wanted some of these strong, glamorous women. Um, which would have been super unusual in any kind of other broadcast sports at the time, but the Vegas vibe here made you kind of want a glamorous showgirl type. Plus it would keep the horny dads watching. When did it transition to being primarily a female sport? 
much more recently. So after Seltzer pulls the plug in 73, there are a couple attempts at revivals, you know, because he pulls the plug on it right as roller skating is kind of becoming the Gen X touchstone of, like we said, the, the girl in short shorts at Venice beach and the, and the disco suburban kids. Right. Um, so that there's all these, there's a sense that this was mistimed. The roller derby could have stuck it out. So there's a couple TV attempts to bring it back. In 1990, there's a syndicated show called Roller Games, which tries to um, amp it up with a, it's no longer an oval, it's a figure eight. So there's collisions oh, in the you, middle. Oh, you crash. I've seen right. that. There's a wall of death. There's an alligator pit. They're really American gladiators-ing it up, if that's a verb. Wasn't there a science fiction movie where it was like combat to the death of some kind? Yeah, ro- Rollerball is a late 70s, 1975, I guess. So it's ironic that right around the time Roller Derby is leaving your TV sets. It's been reimagined as kind of the Mad Max um, of the thing of the the recreation of the future. And so maybe that's why there's all these attempts to bring it back. There's a more successful one in 1999 where Leo Seltzer's son, Jerry. um, Jerry Seltzer. Gets a meeting with the, everything about this is so late nineties. Gets a meeting with the Nashville network. Sure. Which wants that kind of manly, you know, frat boy, late nineties stuff going on. Um, and he sells them a season of something called Roller Jam, which is very much American gladiators alike. By this time, it's the teams are half men and half women. So you have Plus you know, Bugs Bunny, buffed and- out, big hair, blondes of both sexes. Right, right, right. Um, and they're going to shoot the thing at Universal Studios Orlando because Orlando is the center of the entertainment universe in 1999. Right. And you can just imagine the, the Fred Durst kind of music that's going <laughs> to that's gonna accompany all this on the Nashville network. I did it all for the... Uh. The premise of Roller Jam is that there's all these fictional teams, you know, the New York Enforcers and the 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 Vegas High Rollers and the Texas Rustlers. You know, they've got all these kind of USFL kinds of names. The Washington Generals. And they're not real at all. The whole thing is shot on a studio lot in Orlando. Right. Um, but there's... there's uh, they've, the skating wasn't great in roller games. And Jerry Seltzer really insisted that this had, these had to be good athletes. But he was not above glamming it up with storylines and rivalries and... You know, they had learned from the pro wrestling rivalry what would work. And in fact, the L.A. team, uh, I believe the Quakes, had had a series of, of scant, had a, a scantily dressed blonde girls called the, you know, the Beach Babes or something who would do the Quake shake and, and shake their moneymakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't all about the skating talent. Mm. It was clearly some man show. Imagine. There's clearly some man show kind of. <laughs> kind of uh, vibes going this on. This would have been like peak Baywatch too, right? Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, this is what TV, syndicated TV was. It was it was somebody on Jerry Springer, you know, pulling down their shirt or ripping off somebody else's shirt and uh, and slow motion Baywatch jogging. Um, and that show lasted three or four seasons. It kind of went off the rails a bit and you really started emphasizing more of the American Gladiator thing and you know, less about the actual competition, more more scripted entertainment. But the funny thing is, during that time phrase of uh, during that time frame of roller derby re-entering the public consciousness, it kind of became a grassroots movement. And seeing these you know tough women excel at a sport where they could you know they could play as well, or as we've seen in the world's fastest cyclist entry, outplay any man. Um, these leagues that were popping up were all women. And it was after the riot girl movement. So it very much had that. 
is there really anything Olympia you could aesthetic. say as being after Riot Girl? It was I, after the dawn of the Riot Girl go. movement. There Sorry. I don't want to imply that we're not living in a 100% Riot Girl era. Truly we are. Because we are. Um, and this was the time when Roller Derby gets its modern right. third wave feminist accoutrement. You know, the 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 gals with the the fun names, like like a kind of a... a Lucy Lawless. And- yeah, just takes on drag queen names, but from a more athletic point of view sometimes they're socially aware like jokes like ruth bader hitsburg or you know something like that but then often they're just like garbage pail kids names you know here's animosity you know something like that um where they're tough cool larger than life personas just like a pro wrestler you know the discussions still happen about you know is this is this just for the male gaze or is this good female empowerment you know scantily clad women knocking each other over. I mean, it's a certain type of male gaze that wants to see tattooed and tough chicks beat each other. Yeah, but this is the age of suicide girls and that's kind of a common fetishization. You know, it's a common aesthetic now. It's not super underground anymore. I love that the first mention of suicide girls on this show came from you. Via roller derby. (laughs) I really that, that was that was my way into it. That's pretty nice. You really have met in the middle. I'm surprised you even know what that site was, John. I know, I know. Weird. <laughs> You're not the right era or demographic for that at all. Um, but you know, one thing that's often said in defense of it is that uh I mean, besides just all the other third wave feminist stuff you can say about, well, they choose what kinds of image to portray and what kind of sexuality to possess. But the thing about roller derby is they're the the players, the athletes are also very open about their their scars and yeah. their the knocks they take and their bruises and their injuries. And so, you know, despite some things that are glammed up around the sport, there's still a real culture of valorizing the the scars and the bruises and the missing teeth, like a hockey enforcer in, in 1968. It's a it's a road warrior meets Courtney Love. Like you still see a lot of ripped fishnets and um you know, yeah. and, and torn tank tops and, and, and Joan Jett kind of makeup and yeah. But, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's got that road warrior kind of pads and it's nothing like female pro wrestlers who are all still very quaffed and, and self-possessed. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, it a, does feel street. It feels like you could, you, you quit your, quit your job as a bar back and head down to the roller rink. Yeah. There's an authenticity to it. It's not, it's not Vegas. It's Olympia. <laughs> and by 2004, the WFTDA has formed the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, which to, it's, it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's a blanket umbrella governing body that now oversees 463 different leagues Interesting in that it's 30 countries. flat track rather than banked track, because when I think of roller derby in the 60s, it was banked ovals. Yes, and a lot of these um, roller derbies from that that golden age were on banked tracks. And I'm not sure what the what the difference is. I mean, faster maybe. I guess, but can't you take corners faster if they're banked? Well, that yeah. Oh, why why it would be flat track? Yeah, just because you could find. I guess you could do it in any rec you, center. That, I think that's the thing. Like that's what makes it a grassroots thing is you can find a bombed out warehouse in Linwood. Right. Next to your Schwinn shop. It seems harder on the ankles, though. Yeah, you know, a lot of roller derby today is built around these, um, like, kind of whip-like moves that you can use to propel your jammer faster than the other jammer. But Uh on a flat track, it's very easy to whip someone faster than she can corner. (laughs) Yeah. 
So maybe right out we, the door. What we need is eccentric millionaires like us to fund uh, banked tracks for more roller derby teams. Can we put them on aircraft carriers? I really, the more I on the deck or the, on the the more I get to be a billionaire, the more I just want. I just want to repurpose aircraft carriers. Do you want one roller car- aircraft carrier that has one of everything? Or do you want one hmm. aircraft carrier that just has roller derby? One that's just for, uh, I don't know, what else do you even want on aircraft Well, I carrier? feel like, yes, roller, if you put one of everything on an aircraft carrier, mm-hmm. and then it was out at sea constantly, because it's, it's a nuclear-powered, and it just goes around the world. Observes no laws. It observes no laws. It's just like... It's just a water world kind of uh, a, a palace of sin. Why are there not those? Haven't, you, seems, haven't you just described carnival cruises? <laughs> that just seems amazing. No, carnival cruises have, <laughs> they have too much chicken fried steak. No, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm talking about a place that's like, the, it's true, truly a bacchanalia. The, roller, the grassroots building of roller derby has really caught on. There were there was a hit documentary called Hell on Wheels, and then, of course, the Drew Barrymore, Elliot Page movie, Whip It, mm-hmm. which kind of created this new, you know, took, you know, pushed the comedic potential of the the funny names and the tough gals, but also, you know, the tough, hard-drinking gals, but also they've got each other's backs, and it's a real girl boss, you know, yes queen kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Before that even existed. Yeah, honestly, it's a real early manifestation of hashtag slay hashtag girl boss living in the northwest i didn't really realize this until today it's a real we're in a real roller derby hotbed did you know that portland's rose city rollers won four of the last five wftda championships in 2015 16 18 and 19 before covid slowed their role i was aware of it because i have been very closely monitoring the rise of portland as you know for the last 15 years with your finger on a missile button i I feel you know i always was a seattle booster and uh for 110 years it was really easy to root for seattle over portland because portland was just a wet spot in the road but as portland has become you know as asserted itself as a northwest they stopped cutting down trees and and started up art galleries yeah that's right they yeah food trucks was what brought them to the fore uh (laughs) food trucks and the decemberists and now we live in a in a portland universe and seattle just seems like this old-fashioned aircraft carrier basically except with no roller derby it's an aircraft carrier that's already been bought by some Elon Musk type, even worse. And they still have a professional basketball team owned by a Seattleite, sure. but still uh, still belongs to them. And their soccer team is always fighting us. All the cool rock guys we used to like in the 90s moved there. They all moved there and have <laughs> younger wives now. Uh, their second Portland wives. And, you know, Portland's got a got cool housing stock, and it's always 10% cheaper than here. So I was aware that as a component of that, their roller derby team better than the, the rivals of our rat city roller girls yeah slash derby. super it may it it's just one in many elements that makes me super mad not as not because i don't love portland and want portland to succeed but only because you know i staked i staked it all on seattle and and seattle just i don't know it's just boring i wonder why i guess it makes sense that the northwest would be would be a roller derby Hotspot. We also invented Riot Girl. We we've got the aesthetic. Yeah, we've we've got no shortage of of lesbians. I mean, it's a it's a big queer community, which right. you know is well represented in um, in roller derby. And you can't go outside nine months of the year, right? 
there's a lot of latent violence, pent up anger right. and frustration. This is where we express all our our, our uh, built in, our repressed. Yeah, we're exceedingly contempt polite mostly at the grocery store, but this is where we get to we get to either punch each other or watch people punch each other. So learning that we live in this capital of roller derby and that I've never got to go once and that it really seems to be foundering after the arena lo- or the facility loss and the covid-based stoppages. I mean, it really makes me think you know, Bezos is not going to step up and save local roller derby. No, he's he's trying to put ro- roller derby in space. Well, why don't we go on a field trip? I need to get that Jeopardy job, and I need to save roller derby and the Cinerama and whatever else broke in Seattle. Well, you that you, soul you food also, restaurant on Capitol Hill that I used to like—that's gone. You want to uh, you want to buy Scarecrow Video and turn it and make it into a like an yes. unassailable institution. Scarecrow Video needs to be protected from the gentrifying train station next door. You want to save the four remaining really good bookstores in Seattle. What are the other things that you care about? <sighs> I mean, I'm okay driving down to white center for Filipino food. I don't, yeah, I don't need to, how do you feel about Seattle cuisine? Are you going to, are you going to go to, go to the, the mat for, for like a plate of gherkins? Uh, well, Here's the problem with Seattle cuisine, John, this is going to hurt your heart to hear. Portland is better. Ah, And that concludes Roller Derby, entry 1080.NA0302, certificate number 26834 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, I bet social media for Roller Derby is pretty great. Although it might just be like attempts to sell t-shirts over and over, right? One, one short video and then buy our t-shirts. Yeah. I mean, is the social media manager going to be as funny as the person who comes up with all the cool names? Mm, might be one and the same, but that's what you need. After you go check out roller derby on social media, come back to your friends at omnibus project across all platforms. Ken is at Ken Jennings. I am at John Roderick, although I should not be on social media and if you see me there, uh, please very nicely remind me that I shouldn't be on social media. But you don't a, you need a sponsor? Don't do it in such a way that it encourages all the people who are like, "Yeah, yeah," like be super gentle and nice and say, "I love you, John." You every, should save every time yourself. I see you tweet, I'm going to like text you and get, be like, "Just be like, get off of this, get away from the keyboard." It's bad for you to be there. Uh, but I still have lots and lots of tweets there. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, we've gotten some pretty good emails lately. What was the one you sent me one the other day that was, um, well, you, every one you send me is kind of long and weird. Because those are the ones that end. Send this to John. <laughs> I was thinking about the Franco-Prussian War. <laughs> I apologize for my length and weirdness. Please send this to John. You can... Go to where Futurelings congregate on the internet by typing Futurelings in and picking the social media location of your choice. You can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155. Have we done this postcard from Prague? I don't believe so. Is it a defenestration postcard? Maybe. Is that the, is one of these places pictured the windows involved? Yes. It's from Bogdan, which is exactly who you want to be. Hi, Bogdan. Uh, Bogdan was born in Transylvania. 
But then seems right. But then yeah, like checks out. Yeah. Then he moved to ten, uh, lived for ten years in Vamp in Va- Vancouver, which probably like, explains all the severed feet. I feel like a vampire in, shows up in Vancouver. He's born in Transylvania, uh, but he, by his name, I bet is an ethnic Hungarian. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bogdan. Uh, possibly because um, he's since moved to Berlin, right? Or maybe because, an because, ethnic German. Because honestly, a vampire uh, killing women in in cloudy. Uh, Vancouver is such a is such a nineties um, the nineties <laughs> yeah. TV show that he had to leave. Uh, I've just been on a road trip from Berlin to Romania via Prague and Budapest, all the way to Cluj, Romania. Uh-huh. I'm probably saying that wrong. No, you are saying it correctly. Here's a defenestration postcard bought right across the street from the first defenestration palace. I think it says it's, mm-hmm. it's over the barcode. Love you guys. Thanks for the great stories. No, thank you, Bogdan. What a lovely gesture to think of us when you were uh, doing some defenestration tourism. Cluj, uh, formerly known as Cluj-Napoca, was a uh, Hungarian-slash-German town. What happened to the Napoco? They decided it just was too long. You don't need... The Napoca was a, a kind of a, a stapled on. Bogdan, if you are, in fact, a vampire, um, we apologize for outing you. Uh, finally, I would like to encourage you to support the show at patreon.com slash omnibus project. You hear us talk about it every week. Uh, and a lot of you are like, yeah, I should do that. And then you kind of don't get around to it, which I completely sympathize with. Relatable. But, um, but let this be the, the moment that you say, you know, I'm gonna, and, uh, and, and go ahead and, and join our Patreon. We have a, uh, a monthly addenda show. There are lots of other perks, things to see. We take photographs of all of our mail. We take photographs. What else do we photograph, Ken? We photograph uh, us. There's a, picture, there's a picture of you tr- attempting to touch your toes during the presidential fitness test. Right. Photographic oh. evidence that that's the toughest challenge for people our age. And given that we've been doing it for a long time, there's quite an archive of things to explore. Yeah, go see years and years of old adventures. It's like a Dracula's castle. Of omnibus related material. So pa- patreon.com slash omnibus project. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But hopefully we will bounce back multiple times like Roller Derby did. If Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. <laughs>